0: Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some
1: greater purpose? We're the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown
2: on his ass. this is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip.
1: Between the Smarmhouse freaks and those craption movies, I don't know which way to go. <laughs> Jeez, you see what's out there in these <laughs> movies these days?
0: Pure demo, demo crap and Republican ideology <laughs> when, it, when it comes to like films and stuff. Yeah. Like, they all stink. The craption and the, the, smarm the house, the, And the smockbusters. The flopbusters. Smock <laughs>
1: flop <busters>. uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Extended Clip, the gripping season finale of season two. I'm one of your hosts. Eddie Averill. It's episode 121, by the way.
0: I'm Malcolm Baum, Mr. 121.
1: <laughs> I'm G.T. White. And you heard us damn skippy. We're just going to say it off top. Well, it's the last episode of the season, and season three is going to be the final season of Extended Clip. What that means, we will talk about later. Our double feature this week is uh, Mr. Lonely, the 2007 film by Harmony Corinne and Jubal the 1956 Western by Delmer Daves Malcolm you you described your selection last week as that of a rambling man yeah a free rambling man <laughs> rambling
0: man well
1: uh, why, why'd you pick these movies in a little more depth okay <laughs>
0: absolutely well you know it's the po- the podcast you know it's uh we're taking the season finale you know we're all about to be free rambling men you know what I mean we're about to you know Go into town, you know what I mean? F- figure things out.
2: That's why this podcast wasn't built to last. We're three <laughs> drifters from the beginning just coming together on a mission. exactly,
0: exactly. And uh, I don't know. you know, I, I guess my my I, my new job, I guess it kind of came from the I don't know I don't even know where, like I get the ideas for the double features. I was like, how do I feel this week? And how do I you go, come up with this shit? Yeah, it's crazy. It's fucking insane. And but they they just send me to a lot of different places. I'm you know I'm you know I'm like the new guy every day. You know I'm meeting someone, you know what I mean. And I, I just wanted some movies that reflected my you know my kind of my new lifestyle. You know just kind of a drifting along, you know, shaking strangers' hands, new friends, new enemies, you know what I mean? Every day, every day it's a new friend and a new enemy. So
1: Malcolm's made a lot of changes in his lifestyle, <laughs> but <laughs> that's not why I'm kicking him off the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> JT, how did you take to this double feature?
2: Oh, I loved it. I had um, been meaning to rewatch Mr. Lonely uh, for a while now because I saw it when I was young and it really stuck with me as a banger. And I thought it, I had a lot firmer memories of it being more funny to me yeah. than it was just sort of uh, a miserable time. Yeah. But I, I, I liked it. I liked having that miserable time. And then Jubal. I mean, you really threw me for a curve when I was searching for this one on Letterbox. <laughs> I couldn't find
1: it. Jubal. <laughs> uh, that sounds like something Eric Cartman would call the Jewish one on the show. Should we do this? Been quite a on few years. <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, I
2: had a lot of questions, but soon after watching the movie, they were mostly ignored. But um, like, no, that Jubal was great. I loved that as well. Um, and I think it was my first uh, flick by Delmer Daves.
1: Nice. He's a classic man. So we have rambling men on this show once in a while. And also we like to give it up to the classic men. And Delmer Daves is one of those. But I wouldn't quite call Harmony Corinne a classic man. Uh. He's featured some classically tinged characters in his films but for the most part he's a weirdo and his films are about weirdos as well malcolm i know harmony corinne was kind of an early influence for you in terms of uh you know film watching and making correct
0: yeah absolutely i mean particularly uh you know movies like gummo and julian donkey boy which are very different i would say from mr lonely in in a lot of ways but they shared some similar qualities but I don't know, it kind of just introduced uh, this kind of concept of me of kind of like kind of doing, I don't know, like finding kind of the, like a rougher, you know ca- you know, camera styles and just kind of looking towards the fringes and, you know, kind of being empathetic towards the fringes. I feel like that's kind of like the theme of like kind of the first half of his career. And then he kind of transitions into, you know, kind of, tapping more into, like, popular culture. And I feel like this is, like, kind of the transition film in between, like, kind of his Dogma 90... Was it 97,
1: 98 Some style? shit like that. I don't, I don't <laughs> watch that trash. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, you know, that style stuff to kind of, like, you know, the more of the Spring Breakers beach bum. And I think this is kind of an interesting transition in his style where it's, like, you don't quite have like that overlapping style that you have in Spring Breakers and Beach Bum, or that kind of like, you know, handheld, you know, guerrilla style that you find in his earlier stuff. But you still kind of have a lot of the same themes, a lot of, you know, these these group of impersonators that, you know, re- the movie revolves around, you know, it's, a, it's kind of similar to these people in like uh, Broken Towns in the his earlier work, but it's also kind of focused on like celebrity in in a very strange way. So it's, you know, I, I I didn't even really look up what this movie was about, but yeah, it's a, another strange movie bomb. It's a It's a strange one, but uh, I don't know. There's something a little bit more subdued about this that yeah. I kind of enjoyed.
1: You're definitely on the money with it being a transition film, uh, because I think it kind of has the best, uh, not the best of both worlds necessarily, because I don't like it quite as much of, as like the the best Harmony Korean movies, but or in my opinion, the best Harmony Korean <laughs> movies. But... The way you talk about the broken towns of something like Gummo, you know, this he takes it a step further and he constructs a town or a commune from the ground up. And, of course, it's from the brain of Harmony Korin. So it's like, uh, you know, it's going to be already broken, even if it's these people's kind of paradise that they've made for themselves. It's just going to be broken because it's made by these weird, broken people. And then, of course, the obsession or you know fixation on pop culture that comes in his later films is quite bluntly done here with the commune being made up of celebrity impersonators. And then the other thread running through it uh, is Werner Herzog himself playing uh, a guy running like a, a, a monastery. Is that what you would call it? Yeah. Um, a, a convent? Or is that just the group of nuns is the convent? I, I, yeah, I, something I like that. He's think... running a convent. And the, all the nuns wear these nice blue things, and uh, he he takes them on a on an old timey plane to drop some supplies to a village, I guess. And uh, one of the nuns falls out, and sh- it becomes this insane skydiving sequence that you would never really expect to see in a Harmony corridor <laughs> movie. <laughs> it kind of looks like Point Break a little bit, <laughs> and uh, then like. She just falls without a parachute, you know, special effects, thank you, uh, despite the documentary realism of a lot of this movie, Uh, and then this kind of magical thread gets run through it of these nuns who can fall, who can fly, as they say, uh, out of the helicopter and land on the ground with, you know, no repercussions and no parachutes, and the The way that the film kind of floats between the main thread, uh, where Diego Luna's Michael Jackson impersonator, lit, uh, you know, goes to live at this uh, celebrity impersonator con, uh, commune, the the way that that keeps getting dropped in is such. I don't know, it it fits together, but it's also a little bit of whiplash between the disparity of that commune (laughs) and all the terrible shit that happens there, and then just like the kind of pure miracle of that happening, and Herzog saying stuff like, even as dark as some of the stuff he says is, he says stuff like, you know, a little bit of faith will take us a long way, Uh, but then, of course... At the very end, the rug yeah. is kind of pulled out from that as I kind of wrap up the enti- almost the entire arc of the movie. I'll let you guys talk too. But yeah. uh, it, it turns out a lot of the nuns are just dead and there's like planes crashed in the water. And I, it, I don't know what to... I still don't really know what to feel about that.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, especially with this movie... This movie kind of made me realize this, but I see it in his other movies like... Of course, you know, the plot is not going to be as concrete. It's not going to be as, like, visible. But it's also, I, I feel like Kareem, he's he's a moment chaser when it comes to movies. Oh, yeah. He's a big moment chaser. And, like, that's, and, like, something like kind of, like, the nuns skydiving, you know, that's a big home run, at least in my book, right? Like, it's just a... You know something, you know, just crazy. it Seems like you know, out of like a completely different film. It, it does feel like you could get like a Herzog and the Nun style movie, and that that'd be fun too. But it is just kind of like this kind of thing that they you know keep going back to. But like yeah, like the moments that come out of that. Also, but like kind of him talking to that guy at the beginning, who like. Um, wanted to like fly home to his wife or f- visit someone yeah. and he's like
1: he's like you've been unfaithful man and like and, and they just totally yeah. break and start laughing at yeah. him bragging about how much he cheated on his wife yeah. basically
3: no, Eugenio God. Eugenio my son confess you did it to other women you sinned did yeah, you yes, you did it. Yes. How many women? Five at least. I know you. I you yeah. look like that. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you look yeah. like that. Yeah. How you read me? Yeah, I no, read yeah, and like kind of the
0: documentary do realism. You know that Kareen is. You know that's his bread and butter. Like it really shines through in like scene like that where it's like you kind of. Get, get these two actors and you kind of just set up the camera and like you let kind of like Herzog's charisma kind of like guide the scene. And it goes like, you know, a few different places, you know, but then you kind of also have these aspects of the, yeah, like you have like nuns, you know, coming out of the plane or whatever, you know, something a little less realistic, but it's, I, I don't know. It, the way these things mesh together, it is, it is a bit disorientating, but it's like, I guess, For him, you know, I just kind of like I'm looking for, you know, moment to moment. And I feel like there's enough of these good moments to keep me entertained throughout the movie.
2: I feel like the contrast of the end with like the dead nuns and I mean, the Diego Luna, Michael Jackson stuff doesn't really wrap up like I want to say like optimistically but he stops impersonating Michael Jackson so I'm gonna count that as like a as an overall victory (laughs) Um, and I think that kind of undercuts it from being all too like happy but I also like I mean just as like the central decision to have uh, the main impersonator be Michael Jackson I think is a really fun novel choice just to be impersonating someone who already has such a loose state of identity and Mm -hmm. is just like has very clearly struggled with that his whole life. And then the uh, like the conduit to going to this world where all of these people are just like either barely have like their own personality or just projecting like really fucked up parts onto these type of famous people. It, uh, I don't know. It's a fun exploration of that.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's fun. It's, it's pretty sad, but it's just like a lot of like conceptually, it's like even like kind of. The sad parts, I feel like Corrine is also good at, like, realizing, you know, kind of the slight humor of it, not the, you know, belly laugh humor. Well, but there's, like,
2: yeah. when he is in the, like, senior citizens, uh, yeah. like, home at first, <laughs> so and funny. he's just chanting, don't die, don't die, don't yeah. die. And to the them.
1: lead into that, too, is, like, the weird... because is definitely leaning into the darker aspects of all the celebrities that are portrayed here, uh, other than the Stooges, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they could g- be annoying to work with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true. Those damn Stooges there can't was... get anything done with them. <laughs> Why did I hire these damn Stooges? <laughs> that I look. I'll be forthright here. I didn't love the movie, but I was fucking dying at the Stooges getting paint on Abe Lincoln and him <laughs> just getting so pissed. At Uh, But regardless, like, you you know, you have Marilyn Monroe as the person who brings Michael Jackson to the commune, and you get this really, really beautiful uh, tracking shot of them walking through this park in France, I guess, and uh, it's kind of when it, like, I don't know, there's a lot of stylistic choices that bring it out of the, you know, uh, quote-unquote documentary realist style, but uh, that one definitely stood out, Um, but She's talking about her life uh, before and, uh, you know, how she met Charlie Chaplin. And then so before she says, uh, I became Marilyn when I got my boobs. uh, And then she says... I wasn't Maryland yet when I started, you know, when I was with Charlie Chaplin. Oh. And so that is just incredibly mm-hmm. suspect. And I think it is definitely an intentional decision, which is like, come on, leave the guy alone, Charlie <laughs>
0: Chaplin. He went through enough. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, yeah, this movie is not yeah, a there's not a not a pro Chaplin uh, yeah. sentiment in this movie, not not a one. Maybe you know that's what I mean?
1: why I didn't like it yeah. that much. But no, I'm, just kidding.
0: <laughs> but I w- I would say like kind of, you know, what's this Denny Levant or whatever, how do you say his name? That actor? you please yeah, yeah, Chaplin? Yeah, I, I always say Dennis. LeVon. Dennis. Dennis. Levant. Levant. Yeah, Dennis Levant. Let's call him Mr. Levant. Um, it's not even his performance that I I dislike. I feel like just some of the moments where it's just kind of like Chaplin being bad or yeah. whatever is. It is just kind of like the least enjoyable well, part of the movie that's
1: the thing is is it really because you know Marilyn says at one point yeah you know you you really look more like Hitler than Chaplin <laughs> uh, at the end when all the characters have their little portraits on those eggs <laughs> he looks straight up like Hitler that's true and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's a little hidden message underneath this Dennis Levant was never playing Chaplin he was playing, <laughs> or he was playing yeah. a uh, you know he was playing a split personality Chaplin Hitler yeah i think you
0: know you know i think that's that's in there you know what i mean because it's although it's it's, you you
1: impersonate
2: one you probably to book more gigs you gotta do both. (laughs) you gotta be able to do both (laughs) both.
0: no yeah that's that's what's funny about like just the idea of like the um impersonator commune right is it's like you know they do have a performance at the end doesn't go so well but like, the idea of just, like, oh, yeah, we're, I'm gonna, you know, create an island, like, a utopia for us impersonators, and we just hang out as, like, the people. which It's, like, yeah. so funny, because, like, an impersonator's job is supposed to be, you're supposed to be, like, in public, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. in the streets, like, performing or whatever, and these people are just, like, you know, it's, like, it's not even really, like, yeah, like, I guess they've really taken these roles to heart or whatever, and that's why they're so fucked up, and that's why, you know, Luna eventually, you know, leaves at the end, but it's just, it's so funny to take that profession and isolate it and be like, we're just going to act that out in our daily routine.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, uh, just, I, I mean, the casting, definitely, I, I feel like it's kind of statement and casting too. You know, yeah. you have like Dennis Levant, who, you know, is like famous for being in, you know, European art films, kind of. Mm-hmm. And and you got Leos Carax, who makes European art films as the guy at the beginning and the end. Um, oh, I didn't even know. Yeah. Oh, then. yeah, that's your guy's boy. I don't even. I don't. I, I don't even <laughs> like that guy. But I was like, oh, okay, there's old Leo's. You know, <laughs> it was a welcome presence. Yeah, uh, but it, I, I feel like most of the decisions, other than you know, like D- Diego Luna, was not exactly. No, he was like
0: I think e- two, two Mama Tambi. Oh no yeah.
1: shit! So he is also from a popular art movie. You know, yeah. And he's he, like, look, I'm coming out of the gutter. And I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with American pop culture, but this is you know Criterion level. Uh, <laughs> like, don't make no bones about it. And I think that maybe the I, and this could be a completely wrong judgment, but I feel like some of the more art house impulses, uh, kind of you know miss are are kind of missteps for me. Like while I'm watching the movie, whereas the more pleasure seeking impulses of his later works kind of always hit for me even Mm -hmm. if it's a little more hit and miss when i'm like thinking about it after you know like the Mm -hmm. art house kind of mode is like you know you're forced to think about the meaning of the movie while you're watching it right yeah you have all these things that are clearly symbols in this movie and you're forced to think about them as you watch it like a classic art movie is and it's lighter on plot then you watch Spring Breakers and The Beach Bum. And, uh, I, you know, we kind of disagree on The Beach Bum, but I think on its base level, it's an incredibly enjoyable movie. Yeah. Uh, but something like Spring Breakers, or I guess both of them really, incredibly enjoyable in the moment and then also become more enriching the more you think about them after the fact. Because obviously, even when he's in pure uh, pleasure seeking mode, Corinne is such a thoughtful filmmaker and mm-hmm. he's putting so much you know, just like um, weird contradictions and thoughts about culture in all of his movies that I guess I just prefer him in pure thrill-seeking mode, even though this film does have a bit of that.
0: No, yeah, well, it's just... To think of, you know, the auteurist journey, too, it's like, Kareem definitely had to learn how to make his movies pleasurable, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, because this is, like... You know, I, I love them, but it's like, you know, Gummo, Julian, Donkey Boy. These are not the most, like, pleasurable, pleasurable movies. movies. I don't
1: know why I remember Gummo being so much more funny than it It really only has a handful <laughs> of funny scenes.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. It's, uh, it's you know, uh, <laughs> no comment. But, no, yeah, th- I mean, I, I I I like this. I didn't, like, love it like I do kind of his other movies. Maybe... Because, I don't know, maybe there is a little bit too much stalling, I, I feel sometimes, in just, like, kind of narrative. Like, I feel like a good chunk of the movie, right, is, you know, we're in this commune, and we're, we're seeing these, you know, these celebrity figures, and, you know, we're seeing them struggle. And I guess some, some of that drudgery just becomes a little bit, I don't know, like, it just it doesn't have much weight to me i mean but there's
2: still enough stylistic decisions throughout that i enjoy
1: but don't worry there is a plot all the sheep are
2: sick and must all die (laughs) i feel like it's something we talked a little bit about like last week with the baby of macan Mm -hmm. in a similar way where it is like and i mean i i think i probably like this movie the most but to a certain point there is like a lot of just like just bitter misery that I, i don't like think isn't purposeful but yeah. i think it uh i don't know goes down a lot less easy than the fun stuff
1: yeah for sure and i still think it's a good movie like i yeah. don't, don't get me yeah. wrong harmony corinne can pretty much do no wrong with me it's just mm-hmm. levels of enjoyment you know
0: no yeah exactly
1: uh, any final thoughts on this one malcolm
0: no yeah i i feel like i towards like the second half of this movie like i kind of really i don't know it, it's a movie that kind of took me a little bit to get on its wavelength. A bit, you know, even with, you know, some of the more uh, outright, you know, just, um, you know, classically enjoyable stuff. But, um, you know, once it kind of hit its rhythm and like there's some choices made, like I really like the performance and kind of like the weird wooden stiffness of that. And then like we get, you know, the eggs at the end or whatever, where it's like it kind of squeezed a little emotional, you know, juice out of me. Like it, it did kind of like, I don't know, it's just a very strange disorientating decision that i enjoyed so you know i haven't even i'll go three and a half bullets on this one three and a half bullets nice.
2: um i'm gonna go four and a half bullets i like the point that he's at with this sort of being in between um like his two different modes and it really that really works for me even though i mean like certainly i think like doing the impersonator stuff makes it a lot more obvious than his other work. Mm -hmm. I just think it's fun to spend a lot of sad time with all your favorite characters. And just like, I don't know, such a strange collection. Like, I don't think we said the full range. There's obviously the stooges, Sammy (laughs) Davis, Jr., Madonna, Buckwheat, the queen, the Pope.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. It's like what he makes trash humpers after this. Right. And it's like, some kind of similar ideas, a little bit, a little, but, yeah, yeah. But Trash
1: Humpers feels more like the earlier ones, I guess. And oh, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but uh, and like the visually, we haven't really said you know, it's presented in really like slick cinema scope with mm-hmm. you know, some stuff that's more handheld documentary realist stuff, but a lot of the master shot stuff is like really compellingly shot here. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he's playing around with the elements too, like, there's a shot where he's shooting through. Uh, like, the very top of a fire, so it's kind of squiggling everything and going in and out of focus very rapidly in a scene where Charlie Chaplin lets Marilyn Monroe uh, get extremely sunburnt, uh, despite her asking him to wake her up. Very sadistic scene. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, there's, like, the like the tracking shots in here are, like, super, like, serene or or just, like, they're so, like, uh, I don't know, like, the, the movement is so just straight line you know what i mean there's no and it's not really something i've seen from him before but like you said like there's where they're like talking in the trees or whatever or even like when he first comes to the impersonator house and you kind of get that tracking shot in it's kind of and it's used in interesting ways yeah Yeah, just like in trash humpers it's like the trash humpers just like these guys like they set up their own little you know utopia utopia you know these these korean characters you know they're always like we're going to set up something and it's just going to be a place for us and it's you know that's not always a good thing i guess
1: where would you rather live with the carriage with the trash humpers or with the impersonators <laughs> i might you know what i mean it's it's trash uh, humpers get fucked up every night trash "Trash is easy easy trash call like
0: the the yeah exactly like it's a very like low ceiling at the
1: impersonator (laughs) you don't need any money to be a trash humper. i
0: i guess sammy davis jr he was chilling it seemed like for the most part maybe i just chill with sammy but (laughs) um but no yeah trash hump yeah i get into it you know what i mean like do the chance or whatever you know i i think it could be fun
1: <laughs> um i'm giving this one 3 bullets i i, I like it but uh it's it's not quite there for me but i i overall liked it we'll be right back on extended Clip. lonely i'm mr lonely i
2: have nobody
1: Still lonely. Wish I had someone. And we're back on Extended Clip for another episode of Promises Unfulfilled. Now, I think we're going to leave that segment in season two.
0: Dreams deferred. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in
1: the final season, we'll do a dreams deferred segment. <laughs> uh, but it's everyone's true, tried and true favorite segment. Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm. Malcolm. You see anything good this
0: week? Yeah. Well, you know, it's this is another tale from the A-list, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, as a member, actually, you know, I guess some movie theater talk uh, at the AMC, you know, I went to go see this movie, The Night House, went to go see The Night House and great the, title don't yeah, i don't know what that movie yeah, is never heard awful. of it
1: no i like that title i like the night, the, house? night house i think that's a great I, title
0: i for some reason it made me think of like that one little b song where it's like i think i'm bill clinton and it just says white house over and over again it's like <laughs> night house night house um but yeah the night house who knows what's going down in the night house but i was in the amc house the the ticket r- ripper or ticket scanner i guess nowadays you know, she was like, you know, you're a list. You know, that's the fanciest you know you could get. Like, at AMS. basically, it was just like, call me fancy just for just having a list. Yeah, I was like, mm-hmm. like, I'm glad, I'm happy to hear that. That was my response. But uh, the movie was not so VIP. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. Nighthouse didn't deliver the goods, and. You know, I I just, like, with the, you know, if I have AMC A-list or whatever, I'm like, once a week, I'm usually just like, I gotta go to the movies just so it's worth it, you know what I mean, for the money. But, um, I don't know, you know, I like going to see the new horror movie every now and then, you know what I mean, you know, regardless of what it is. Sometimes you just want to go to the theater See a horror movie, and you know this movie was not even serviceable. I would say didn't even quite scratch that itch. Didn't <laughs> How quite. How
1: many times did you get up and either refill your uh, free upgrade large soda yeah. or use the little boy's room? Zero. I don't. I you sat through the whole thing, I even though through... it was bad.
0: Yeah. Well, there was a point. I Feel like if if movie's yeah.
1: bad and I'm at the movies, I'm like, all right, I'm taking advantage of the amenities. I'm gonna yeah. go go to those nice clean bathrooms, unlike <laughs> <laughs> the ones in
0: uh, your house. My house. <laughs> <laughs>
1: get my diet coke which i also don't have at my house
0: <laughs> you know that's the thing i want to like my mentality is like i want to enjoy this movie go smoke weed in
1: the lobby which i
0: can't do at my house
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so like i like there's a point where it's like i don't know there's like this it's about you know this woman her husband dies or what it killed you know commits suicide and She's not too happy. She's chilling at her lake house that, you know, they lived in together. And then it's, like, revealed that, like, she's going through his stuff. And he had, like, blueprint plans for, like, this seemingly other house that's, like, across from the lake. And, like, the designs of it first, like, it looks like it has a maze. It looks, like, tricked out. You know what I mean? Like, I was kind of hyped for, like, this other house. I was, like, which I presume is the night house. I don't think it was clarified. But um, I was, like, if the night house has, like, a maze... Or just, you know, some cool traps. I don't know. I was just looking for something. The, and The Night House doesn't have any of that. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, the Blueprints lied. or He just didn't. But uh, I don't know. Just a very boring movie.
1: Damn. What about you, JT?
2: Well, I didn't watch all that many movies this week. But I the ones that I did, I really made them count. <laughs> and one of the ones that I made count uh, was 1970's Zabriskie Point. Um, and I had been meaning to get around to this one for a while. I knew there was uh, the opening like sequence of like uh, political strife in America among the youth, and uh, I don't know. This is on that like late sixties, like early seventies bullshit. I-, I knew I was gonna like this one uh, right out the gate, and like also, I think it's, this is the last American Antonioni I hadn't seen. And I just, like, it's interesting to see him adapt his style um, to the States. Like, I mean, we talked a little bit with The Passenger about, like, um, him doing his bullshit somewhere else. And this is, like, pretty similar in that regard. I mean, I think there might be, I don't know, it's debatable to say whether there's more of a plot here or there. But, I don't know, a lot of fun, like, just traveling around the desert uh feeling that sweet sweet ennui um it's good (laughs) i you know i like love antonioni we all love antonioni
0: here and it's like i'm kind of at at the point where it's like like i'm holding on to some movies where it's like i don't know if i want to watch that yet you know what i mean i kind of want to keep that in the back burner so i could just have some new antonioni by the time i'm 25 or something like
2: that like i'm at the point in my life where i've waited for Waited for too long with with my stock of his movies (laughs) and so i need to burn through them quick hey we're two strangers at the
0: station we're going different places man i get it i get it
1: as a 26 year old man who's been obsessed with Antonioni for about a year and a half malcolm i think waiting till you're 25 is a good option okay yeah i'll wait until those eight years (laughs) that you have to wait you know (laughs) that's seven
0: years yeah i'm i'm fucking i'm 16 just for the record. <laughs> Just for the record. We've yeah. been
1: having Malcolm over and filling him up with booze and weeds since he was 14.
0: Just if anyone asks, I'm 16. Yeah, that's...
2: <laughs> How about you, Eddie? Have you watched Anything Good this week?
1: I have, in fact. Thank you so much for... You know, a lot of people don't ask me that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'd say that's the first thing I ask you every day when I... Uh, meet you in the living room and
1: you always phrase it like that this week <laughs> the other night i watched the philadelphia story the 1940 screwball comedy by george kukar starring george kukor 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 Cuck, yeah <laughs> I, i've said Cucker. his name normally so many times i don't know what happened there i was thinking of the kukar brothers i guess kuchar uh, yeah and i i Cukor.
0: kukor kukor to kuchar Hey, that's like our podcast, oh,
2: right? Boy. Yeah, <laughs> from from Kukor to Kuchar, <laughs> uh, 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 snort out of me. You're in
1: pig a- mode. <laughs> anyhow, uh, a three-hander between Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and James Stewart. None of which, uh, or neither of which, are the man that Catherine Hepburn is set to marry. Uh, I like when it's you know a bunch of women vying for a woman's, uh, or a bunch of guys vying for a woman's romance and the guy she's about to marry is just like out of the picture kind of yeah. like, yeah, that we kind of know that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so it's adapted from a play and it has a great script and it does feel very stage bound. But like, I, I, I get that as a criticism. You want cinema to open up more than the stage stage. But I feel like the the actual staging, despite these sets being very kind of flat and stayed, is so masterful that it opens it up and you have, you know, the the added dimension of depth that the camera brings, no matter where you put the camera on that set. Even if it generally looks like a play, a lot of times it's like, well, you know, if plays had that great of staging, I'd be more of a theater hound. Um, <laughs> and, and of course, also, you don't go to the theater to see fucking Cary Grant. Uh, Like uh, there's just so many incredible. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, there's so many great lines. Like I want to talk to someone who's seen it to just kind of recount the funny bits uh, rather than expound upon its wisdom. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because it it, it's a smart movie, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know give give anyone brain over. I'm not gonna (laughs) I'm not gonna gonna give anyone brains uh, of the Philadelphia story (laughs) over the.
0: Uh, no brain, <laughs> no brain. Paul, I ain't doing it.
1: This is not a brain-giving <laughs> podcast. This
0: is an anti-head podcast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I love that movie by Bob Rafelson starring the monkeys. Oh, true. Yeah. Oh, this Bob is a Rafelson. pro. You know what? Yeah, this is a pro head podcast. We might actually be doing a little head next season. We'll think about it. All right, bye. Re-
2: Rosedale, <laughs> born, uh, born Basil Spaulding Mills Spa, 1878 <laughs> to 1960. That's Damn. a good time to have lived Holy as shit. an American actor and opera singer. Like just that lifespan, doing a little opera. I would imagine when it was more fashionable and yeah. when you are a young man. And then just retiring as an old guy doing just playing bit parts in westerns. <laughs> That'd be sick. That's the best life I think I could ever have. That's true. What's
0: I mean, you can't you
2: can't even do that anymore. You no, know exactly.
0: I mean? <laughs> you, best, you, you know, you're Justin Timberlake. You know, you have a pop career, and then you get to be in Trolls too as the lead voice or something like. That's the <laughs> closest equivalent.
1: Uh, we're talking about Jubal. The 1956 Western by Delmer Daves. Uh, Mal- Malcolm, what's the other Delmer Daves Western you've seen that, that led you to this one? Because I know you had said uh, he had been all hits for you so far last week or something yeah, to that I think effect. I th- I've seen 310
0: to Yuma, which was re- really good. Cowboy, just cow- classic. Just, just Cowboy. cowboy. <laughs> it's just Cowboy. And what was the other one?
1: I'm looking it up right now. I can't find a movie called Just Cowboy. Really? What's going on then? Just Cowboy? No, it's just called
0: Cowboy.
2: Uh. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I think Broken Arrow was the other one.
0: Something Arrow. Maybe he didn't. Oh. No, he did Broken Arrow. Okay, yeah. He didn't write it. All right. Well, you know, we got it figured out. Those are the movies. Those are the three movies. (laughs) And they were really good so especially broken arrow for and for that one especially spoke to me and um so i was like let's fire him up on the pot you know what i mean i feel like i like to do a western like every now you know what i mean keep a western in rotation of course and uh so i was just you know Jubal seemed like a pretty popular one by him it's in the criterion collection you know what i mean it's got that prestige and you know it's a I I was like, you know what? It's going to be a good movie, and I think I was right. And I oh, think you were you were yeah, right on the money, baby. Absolutely. And I think Delmer Delmer's good. You know what I mean? You see his name, you're like, I'll I'll take two tickets, please. You know what I mean? That's what you <laughs> two do. for Delmer. Two for Delmer. Because <laughs> I, I spread my legs. Yeah, exactly. I can't have no fucking popcorn eating bitch sitting next to me <laughs> ruining the damn movie. <laughs> That's what kind of director <laughs> is
1: I buy two because uh, like Kevin Smith at the airline. One time, I was deemed too fat to sit at the movie theater. I had to buy two seats.
0: <laughs> that's sick. I've definitely like I, I've there's definitely been situations where it's like I've been too fat for that, and I've just I've stuck it out hard, and everyone around me Dude, has to suffer. That's
1: why I, I sit aisle at the new bed every single time. Like it, especially in my in my larger states, uh, it, it's been. It's been rough to sit between people with new bev like especially if it's another like if it's like yeah. a bigger guy than oh, me. because no. I'm, oh, I'm seeding the the momentum to the other big guy <laughs> yeah. if he's bigger than me, you know. I'm squeezing in now. <laughs> and I, I don't
0: like that. No, it's not when it's you got two bigs, two bigs against each other, too. It's like both both the bigs are not liking that. But uh new saw
1: heat at the new bev last <laughs> night, aisle perfect. Perfect, no My bigs. Sweet. Oh no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey man, I'm speaking from a place experience. Um
0: but uh yeah, newbev not a body positive cinema for sure.
1: <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the fucking movie. Um so you got Jubal played by Glenn Ford. Uh, what what are you running from, Jubal? <laughs> Turns out he's running from family trauma, and he's just trying to be a simple cowboy on his own, you know. Uh, which is actually pretty pretty heartfelt in the scene where he describes it. You know, an hour in with with the new girl after ignoring his boss's wife, who really wants to fuck him. Uh, he he's just like. It really was a, a, a touching monologue that you don't really see in too many westerns of the time. But I think this is definitely one of those, you know, later westerns from the 50s where it's like you are kind of questioning the mm-hmm. classic western mythos and examining just how brutal everything really is. I think I've finally watched enough
0: movies to really get a grasp on his style. And like, I feel like a lot of Delmer Dave's westerns, it's like the emotions are really considered, like, kind of from all standpoints and especially with this one even more so than his other stuff i was like jubal is just a you know a story about it some emotional boys dude like these are just some emotional guys just kind of dealing with you know whatever you know kind of inadequacy in terms of like ernest borgnine or even pinky or whatever who wants to be the guy who fucks the boss's wife but you know the boss's wife isn't into it you know what i mean and he, he acts out because of that and it's just and then Jubal himself, who's just a sensitive legend, you know what I mean? He's just a, you know, man who's been, you know, going from town to town, drifting, whatnot. And uh, you know, Borgnine kind of confronts him. And it's like, you know, why don't you, why don't you just stay here? You know what I mean? What you know, what's what's the trouble? You know what I mean? You know, my wife, she's real nice, but uh, but yeah, and it's very interesting because, like, I don't know, like when I think of a western, it's like kind of like. You think of like a scene like oh they're gonna go travel. You think of so much open space. Mm -hmm. Jubal's a pretty contained movie. A lot of it's indoors. A lot of it's just on the ranch, and it's uh, I don't know. It's it it, it's very interesting how it kind of plays with like uh, the expectations of like kind of the freedom of a western, and you just feel so cramped in this movie.
2: Yeah, and I mean even that like I mean. Talking about how much this movie is about the characters and their personal relationships, I just you feel so cramped in all of that too. Like there is I wasn't anticipating as much cuckolding as there was going into this, but yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it's like you got like some fantastic performances by mm. Glenn Ford, uh, Borgnine, of course, and as Rod Shep. Yeah, Rod Steiger is <laughs> pinky too. Like so it's so fucking great. And uh, I don't know. Once again, uh, the woman has just led to all of this problems (laughs) and nonsense. And uh, poor Borgnine had to die for it.
1: So basically the setup is Jubal rolls into town looking for some work. Shep is the boss at this uh, cattle herding farm. And he's like, yeah, come on by. And uh, Pinky it immediately doesn't take a liking to him just cuz he thinks he stinks <laughs> <laughs> stinks of sheep stinks of sheep what's a what's a cowhand like you do in a hurdle and you know hanging out with sheep what are you doing uh so he's a very elitist you know puritan not puritan definitely not puritan purist uh cowhand cowboy man and uh so the conflict is there right away it is intensified, of course, uh, when uh, Shep's wife, played by Valerie French, uh, her name is May, she immediately takes a liking to uh, Glenn Ford as Jubal, and who wouldn't? Jubal is, so you know, he's just a classic man. Yeah. He may be a rambling man, but he's also a very classic oh, man. Oh,
2: he's, he's sensitive and caring. He's going to be yeah. there for you, too. He, t-
1: he tells uh, Shep, you know, even though may really wants to fuck him he's just like look shep gave me this job yeah. he made me the foreman i'm gonna help the guy out he's like look man your wife doesn't like you because you're always slapping her on the ass in front of people stop slapping her on the ass in front of people she'll like you a little more
2: well there's a lot of things a man does that bother a woman uh well, like what well like slurping coffee out of a saucer yeah uh spitting scratching Whacking her on the behind when she isn't looking? Well, I'll just do that. Oh, you mean in front of company? Well, sure, if I just swat her in private. Well, you, sh- you think she likes being swatted? Well, don't all women? Shows them you love them, don't it? Well, there's other ways, you know, chef.
0: <laughs> it's That's so funny, because it is. like I love that scene, because Borg and you know, usually a happy, you know, chuckling, you know, happy-go-lucky-go, oh, ho, ho, you know, laughing at his own jokes like a fucking stooge, yeah. um, um, you know, comes to me, it's like, my wife hates me. Like, she does not like <laughs> me at all.
1: She seems to like you. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Jubal's like, stop, just stop slapping her on the ass, like, it's like, starts him from
1: base one, just like, stop slapping her around. Stop slurping <laughs> your coffee. Dude. Yeah. You gotta have the, that's so funny how they refer to her having Canadian manners because <laughs> she's Canadian and they're like yeah you can't slurp coffee like that up in canada (laughs) you expect me to
2: (laughs) i mean with the talk of the ass smacking there's also like this is like a lot more explicit like the scene Mm -hmm. where pinky is like trying to first like having it out with may (laughs) yeah where he's like oh like when Ship's not here. You need some wood yeah. chopping done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when it's he like says, let me know if you need some
1: wood. Yeah, it's, it's like, like this damn. Is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, and it's like
0: the scenes where, like, May's trying to seduce Jubal is like, you know, of course a lot of old Hollywood movies imply sex, but it's like, it's heavily implied. Yeah, like, yeah no, this movie is very it. steamy.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: but it's also, yeah, I think what's kind of interesting is, like, Jubal, you know, you think of the drifter, the, the rambling man, you know what I mean? Think of someone who's like, okay, you know, I'll be more comfortable in looser moral environments or whatever. Jubal, he, not, I guess he's, he operates in them, but it's like, yeah, he's like, I'm not gonna fuck my boss's wife who, like, this guy who, like, you know, pretty much went on the line for me, like, yeah. helped me out. He's like, I'm gonna do the right thing and not do that. You I, know, what I'm I mean? not
1: going to t- I'm not gonna go to town on payday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 and then, like, why, why, why do not you going to go to town on payday? <laughs> <laughs> and like
0: the way, like the way this is shot too, it's like a lot of it's a lot of, a lot of dark interiors yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like you know Jubal's kind of tempted by like kind of like just the toxicness going on at this ranch, basically, and just all all the bullshit. And then like you know he finds the the righteous woman you know out in out in the fields or whatever and you know when they talk it's in a nice kind of more open environment but it is like a a lot of the photography of just like this ranch lifestyle and kind of like the dark rooms and kind of like everything being framed you know through like fences and like posts and stuff like that really does a good job of uh visually making this ranch uh, an uncomfortable place to be
1: yeah a lot of the you talk about the darkness of the photography the the day for night stuff is insane here it it has that artificiality to it but there's some shots where it's just like blackness and the outlines of hats and it's just like you just hear guys on horseback and it's just like you can barely see it when they're all just riding together at night you know looking for Jubal toward the end uh, it's so insane how he pulls off those day for nights. And also the the nighttime interior of Glenn Ford's house when he's like in his bedroom with May, that kind of climactic scene where she calls out for Jubal, even though they had never hooked up together. Yeah. She calls out for him as if they had been hooking up. Uh, and then like when he strikes a match to light up the room, kind of the difference in lighting between that yeah. and playing it as nighttime is so insane. <laughs> like it's just like a, color tone switch kind of and it's just i don't know that there's some incredible cinematography here as broad of a phrase as incredible cinematography is
0: yeah well you know just think of the artificiality of it as like i think that's what makes it so kind of uncomfortable like this darkness feels i don't know there's like a thickness to like these like the colors of like the interiors here that like it's just, it's, it's so, it's just, it's overwhelming to a certain extent. It's like, it's like someone took a paintbrush and fucking pressed it hard down on the canvas.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the relationship between Jubal and Shep... Uh, builds in a way that is prime for you know Pinky to come in and try and you know frame him as a backstabber. Of course, as he stays uh, abstinent dis- despite all of the, the the sexual persuasions of the the boss's old lady, uh, he he just tries to you know mend their relationship a little. But Pinky just does not understand. And then there is this uh, religious group coming through uh, that I guess like some of their horses something happens with their wagon where they're like stuck and need to stay around there and uh, Jubal takes a liking to one of the one of the young ladies in there and also makes a friend in a relatively young Charles Bronson uh, <laughs> who enters the film about 40 minutes in and he does an incredible job throughout the rest I, I actually really love Bronson in this movie mm-hmm.
0: you know it's, it's kind of a, a like Glenn Ford kind of, this is maybe even outside the realm of the movie, but someone I always kind of had, I was a little skeptical of him for some reason, like as like a leading man Mm -hmm. or whatever. But like, in addition to this movie, but including this movie, it's like, he's good. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good actor. And like, I I welcome his presence. And I feel like, I don't know, like the character written here kind of just like, you know, the, the perfect man, you know, quote unquote Mm -hmm. is like, I don't know. I feel like Glenn Ford, I don't know there's an earnestness to him that I I just enjoy and I feel like, you know, kind of like you kind of have like these uh more, you know, goonish looking uh, character actors surrounding him. I think
1: is a good contrast. Also, he is great in a completely different way in The Big Heat, I yeah. would say. But that, other than that, like I those are the only two things I've seen him in. Yeah. yeah. Also
0: just just like th- like speaking of like um I was talking like side actors, character actors or whatever like I love how there's like always just like dudes like ranch hands standing around and random shots too. Like mm-hmm. like I was thinking of when like Borgnine is getting fed that bullshit by Pinky that like, you know, Jubal and uh May are sleeping together right now, so like, you know, Borgnine, you know, races back to the house. But like really great shot of like Borgnine kind of getting told that news and him kind of bugging oh my, out oh like right God. next to the his, carriage.
2: His uh, his face in that looks crazy. And I love how he addresses like I don't know that's a part of it he's like oh I know I'm an ugly guy and I'm set up with like a babe wife but like we're gonna make it work out
1: (laughs) yeah those other three guys are kind of a sounding board for kind of each character like each of them gets like each of the three leads I guess gets a moment to kind of say something and kind of let it bounce off of those guys see how they feel about it like in that instance where it's like do you do you guys think that Jubal's screwed my wife and they're just like the, in that moment, they've all been convinced by Pinky to the point that uh, Shep had as well. Everyone's name. This is so stupid. Charles Bronson's name is Reb. This
0: this movie is called Jubal, so it does kind of set the tone for names. You're like Jubal. What's gonna be? Uh, yeah, okay. Can't, you can't even you can't even
1: riff off that because it's like you just, just be talking gibberish. Yeah, I think uh, one of the other guys is yeah. Shem is one of the ranch hands. Sam gets the normal name, the other ranch hand played by uh, Noah Berry Jr., I guess. Um, But regardless, the jealousy obviously leads to that point where Pinky makes his big accusation and then the scene we described where when Ernest Borgnine goes to check it out, May calls out for Jubal, despite the fact that he's with Charles Bronson helping these poor religious folks straight out of Wagon Master uh, get back (laughs) on their journey, you know? Uh, Except they're like the PG version of Wagon Master, which is weird because uh, this is such an other... Well, actually, no. they 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 get pretty flagrant toward the end when they're just like, look... We're, we're God-fearing folks and all. We're great people, but yeah. we're not going to help you with your murder rap, even if you're innocent. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah I mean, it's, it shows the ugly stuff ugly, but it, yeah. it's a pro-Christian movie. It you know is. What I mean? In the <laughs>
1: end, those are the good guys. Uh, 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 uh. But yeah, you kind of have a like all, all that weirdness and kind of like hothouse melodrama build up to it leads to a third act that feels at home for a Western where everyone's yeah. kind of chasing each other around on horseback. And you're like, oh, yeah, Westerns are usually about action. Let's fucking go. <laughs> And uh, throughout the movie, you see uh, Charles Bronson work on a move where he's just diamond like a great point guard tossing the pistol yeah. over to Glenn <laughs> Ford. And it's used twice here, once when uh, Shep confronts Jubal about the accusations and doesn't you know, listen to Glenn Ford's beautiful reasoning, uh, his <laughs> calmness, and instead points the gun at him. And then again, uh, he has to do it to take care of Pinky played by rod steiger and his death is great because once it's vindicated that pinky actually like beat may to death uh everyone just like rides off they don't even drag his body away they just kind of ride off around him and you have that kind of low level shot of his body laying on the floor once all the horseback guys are just kind of getting on their way out of there
2: well i joked earlier about like treatment of like may as sort of like a conniving and like manipulative woman i feel like it doesn't like i don't know she's a really nuanced character and i like i like the way they play that ending there of her getting killed like it's such an intimate and like sad like beat especially because like very well she could have lived before they come back and being like oh yeah she fucking died (laughs)
1: And, uh, yeah, he ends up, like, even though it seems like the woman from that uh, religious convoy, uh, Felicia Farr as Naomi, like, is kind of just, like, foisted upon him at first, and he's, like, kind of still into May. In the end, he's like, well, I guess I've told this girl my life story, and I've never told anyone that, so I'll just kind of hang out with her and charles bronson and ride off into the sunset whatever the three of them are gonna do together
0: yeah it seems like a ch- you know little chiller I, setup than you know what was going on with may and absolutely the, the hot house and you know just jesse the jesse character is so good because he's flailing from like you know the first time you see him you know what i mean like he'll he'll give like you know Jubal a lot of shit which makes him seem like maybe he has like higher status which i guess he would be like the guy who gets jubal's promotion if jubal didn't get that promotion Mm -hmm. but it's just like he's just fucking up like the entire time you know what i mean in a way that's like i don't know like with the villains or what you know the the classic villain you know a little more intimidating it's like this dude's just his his life's in ruins you know what i mean like he's just trying to you know find someone on on this ranch you know may and he's just jealous and yeah just a lot of bitterness coming up in a ugly ways and now he's, he's gossiping too you know what i mean it's it's uh it's bad news when, when it comes to that
2: i'm gonna go four and a half bullets i really uh loved it and i mean now now i gotta do more uh more delmer double of d's course. the double people d's. the people are claiming for more, clamoring for more double d's this
1: film's got double d's it's ready to go
0: true it's a, hey it's if, you know if you're into that you know it's of stuff double d's are here but um
2: <laughs> <laughs> scooter, stop! <laughs> she was just humping the
1: blanket. I, <laughs> I saw that. I've Malcolm. never seen scooter hump anything. That was kind of uh, gross. Uh, it is, uh, now hard. she's licking it. Hey, at My least dog. she's a she's a generous lover. My, you
0: know, I kind of mess with the pheromonal balance of the house. Like <laughs> I understand that, so it's kind of natural that
2: she's it's reacting. It's I'm also this way. humping things <laughs> as well. Yeah, I I always see Malcolm <laughs> with
1: some dog. <laughs>
2: oh <laughs> uh, yeah four and a half bullets so, uh, 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 great film yeah great film uh
0: four bullets for me uh eddie what do you what do you think oh about i'm the-
1: giving it four as well <laughs> uh yeah no I, I i think that it's definitely a film that's looking a little more introspective like a lot of these later like 50s and 60s westerns do uh there there's the line you know sometimes i think it's given the good Lord the worst of it to say he invented people, which is a pretty fatalistic line. Like more, more out of a noir than a Western you would yeah. expect.
0: The Glenn Ford character and like kind of like the Jesus, the, you know, traveling religious group or whatever. There's like an interesting dialogue between them where it's like, they like, no, he doesn't believe in God, but he's like, I know I, I respect, you know, I respect religion or whatever. That's like a very like modern, you know what I mean? He's even passed like, the edgy atheist, like there is no God, there no, is no, no hope. To where he's like, I don't believe in God, but you know, I really. If you wanna, thing, yeah, yeah, if you want to pray, you could pray. You know what I mean? That's not a, a sentiment I usually see in a, a '50s movie, but the Wild West, man, it's a uh, it's a different world out there.
1: Extended clip podcast is where you can email us um, from last week. Th- this seems to be one that didn't get in under the wire for last week but we'll answer it regardless uh it is from our old pal felix dibinski and the subject is edgelords uh-oh hi extended clip gang the announcement of the baby of Macon being one of the films discussed on this week's episode reminded me that most of the critic reviews for this were fairly negative saying it was beautifully shot but empty and provocative for the sake of it the quote-unquote edgelord style criticism gets thrown around at Greenaway a lot. And I was interested in seeing what the boys thought of this type of criticism in the films that get described as such. Well, I'll tell you right now. Listen to last week's episode. <laughs> uh, 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 but it goes on to say, uh, some other directors I see getting categorized as edgelords are Michael Hanukkah, Lars von Trier, and Gaspar Noe. Interestingly, I think that now art house darling Claire Denis was often described in this way because of the shocking things included in her films. But there seems to be a process of Agnes going on with the discussion <laughs> of her films now to sand off the edges and discuss purely in terms of characters and vibes. Thanks, Felix. Um... The last one is a bit of the last part's a bit of a reach, I would say. Uh, but you are definitely onto something with the I guess public perception of the generally uh, incredibly dark films of Claire Denis are yeah. not, not all incredibly dark, but a lot of them have some yeah. incredibly dark and violent aspects to them, often sexual violence and it's yeah. you know it's no fun.
0: That's no fun. That's no good. But, but it's uh, not like
1: Agnes Varda was making like sol- exclusively cutesy movies. Like, yeah. It, she wasn't making faces places for f- 60 years. She also saw the dark side of humanity. True.
0: I get what he's getting at though. yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, know. I just
1: uh, look. I know someone hears that and says pulls the S card. You know.
0: I know. We're set and we'll we'll pull the S card. We set the record straight. Yeah. That's our S card. <laughs> setting well, the record. Well that's two S's. <laughs> but I don't want to carry around an S card. <laughs> But uh, what, oh. do, what do you th- what do you guys think about? Because like we we watch edgelord shit, right? We yep. watch lowly to vibrator torture or whatever. Is that uh, edgelord? Love, right? <laughs> because
1: th- those kind of films are made specifically, f- like not specifically for perverts. Yeah, like yeah. Th- well, they're pornographic films. That's different. That's like pornographic films that people are finding art in and there's interesting directors working in those veins, but obviously there's a pornographic quota to be met Hisayasu sato is not getting however many thousand dollars to shoot an art movie and then he's like well i might as well have 45 minutes of sex in it yeah
0: (laughs) no you're you're right it's the edgelord thing comes from because like they're making quote-unquote art house movies yeah and like they're inserting these things I I guess it's, like, people only use that term negatively, right? Of course. Like, it's, like, because I think with, like, Haneke or whatever, it's, like, and to be honest, I haven't watched any of his movies in a while, so I can't say if this is fair or unfair criticism. It seems like people are kind of, like, I don't know. They're kind of tired of, like, the cynicism or, like, kind of the ugliness that comes out. Like, I think people are, like, calling it they're almost like kind of wrapping around a way it's like, oh, that's kind of like predictable that you're Mm -hmm. acting in this, or like your movies this way. Whereas like the baby of McCone, it's like, I think that is like, I I guess it's Edgelord Greenaway. Like, I guess I haven't seen so much of his movies, but it's like Edgelord doesn't really fit to me. Like there's, there's not a lot of fun being, I guess there is fun being had with it. I don't know. But I I mean,
2: it doesn't like, I mean, I think he's pushing boundaries in some ways, but less like, I don't know. I feel like Edgelord is tied to like Provocateur. For yeah. me, where you're like you're doing some like less so to think about it and more so to just push buttons. Yeah. But
1: provocateur it, doesn't always mean a bad thing for me either. Like, yeah, I think a lot yeah. of my favorite directors kind of are like if if Brian De Palma's films didn't get wide distro and were only played at Cannes he would be seen as an as a an Edgelord you know by those kind of people because his films are so pro, uh Provoking, I guess, and mm-hmm. filled with violence and sex and all the the dark things that art films aren't supposed to. But obviously, any critic worth their two cents sees the formal prowess and mastery of Brian De Palma. But like, yeah, I think the the people who make outright art films that are filthy, I think, are all gonna get unfairly categorized in this bunch, basically. Mm-hmm. And some of it I really don't like, but it. It's you can't you can't lump them all together. That's all I'll say about that because it's like there are definitely art house directors who do a lot of uh, provocations that I enjoy. You could even say Godard, you know, Yeah. Uh, yeah, my favorite director. He he has a lot of provocations in his movies. Um, but just because I'm not a Lars von Trier fan wouldn't mean that I'm like against all that kind of thing.
0: No, yeah, exactly. I mean there's just there's different ways to make a loaf of bread, right? As yeah. they say. Um <laughs> so but, it is
1: an unfair criticism, yeah.
0: But yeah, I get, but it is like I guess someone like Gaspar No Way, it's like I guess that I would say there is like a lot of empty provocation mm-hmm. in his film. So it's like it's kinda interesting for me. It's like what what makes provocation worthwhile, I guess? Yeah. Or like I don't know. Like, why do I react so negatively to no or whatever in other filmmaker, I mean, he might just... I think he just sucks. I think that's probably the answer, but... It, he could yeah.
1: suck. I've never seen a minute of yeah. any of his movies.
0: Damn, you're clean. I'm you're untouched.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm at that clean 0%. Uh, anyway, so you could email us every single week at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. And that's the end of season two of Extended Clip. Hasn't it been... Such a great voyage.
0: Yeah. This is, the. what did season two kind of, when did it start? Like, like a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. So this has been a long season. <laughs> it's <been> a long
1: <laughs> definitely longer than the first one. Yeah. And so. it's going to be longer than the third one, I'll tell you yeah. what. Because uh, Extended Clip is coming to an end. Um, I believe that this calendar year will be the end of Extended Clip. We're all moving on to bigger, brighter better things it's not the last time you're going to hear our voices true it's not going to be the last time eddie jt and malcolm are up (laughs) to no good Uh, you might just
0: see us on barstool.com instead
1: (laughs) but look it's uh what i'll save the sop story for next season when we end it but the the final season is going to be a bit shorter uh it's going to be about you know somewhere between 15 to 17 episodes uh that's an inside joke for our fans who are <laughs> big fans of uh, the 1517 to Paris.
0: They're going to be spring-loaded, though. You know what I mean? They're going to be
2: dangerous.
1: We're
0: going
2: to do a lot of things. Yeah, you know. we're, Some we're, things you may not even enjoy.
1: We're not going out lying down. That's all I'm saying there. This is like, look, if you're a fan of the show, you know we, we've been doing season two. We've been doing season two for a year and a half. What's season two? It's the show you're listening to right now. <laughs> uh, it's It's a little stale, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you'd probably hate us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, We're just going to really put the pedal to the fucking metal for the rest of the way out. Leave you guys uh, some really good shit. We have some great stuff planned. I am talking to the director of a film that a lot of you guys love and I love too. And I really hope he comes on the podcast in the next week or two. But Woody uh, Allen. Yep. But... <laughs> uh, but that'll all be part of season three. We're going to have new shit we've never done before. Uh, fuck Patreon goals. We'll do a commentary track. Uh, the, the money stuff, who cares? We all have jobs. Uh, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for the season premiere, just to show you what we're working with here, for the season premiere of Extended Clip, actually we'll call it the end of Extended Clip, Um <laughs> We will be talking about Rio Bravo and Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Ooh, so big hitters. We're, we're we're batting a thousand in season three. <laughs> I know we've had we've had some episodes you skim through here and there. You know, I get it. We're we're not making you watch stuff but we're, we're playing the classics and not in a bad way either. <laughs> in the best
0: way possible. In the most honorable and respectable way possible.
1: Absolutely. If you've been listening to this show for 121 episodes, you know that our key values are honor and respect. Absolutely. So please go to patreon.com slash extended clip. Give us, you know, two more dollars for four yeah, more months count. or make so. Make it count now. It's, not, it's like True. eight more bucks. Up your pledges. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're it's, taking the money and run. Right? Yeah, because this uh, is it. Speaking of, guess who might come on the podcast next week? Ooh. The director of Take the Money and Run. Oh, I know who that is. Uh, Woody Allen. Yeah. You oh know. yeah, Woody you Allen. You do a, you do a, a you do a film podcast, if <laughs> you don't know who the director of Take the. All right, now I know why we're ending the podcast.
0: So I, do, I don't know every single Woody Allen. Yeah,
1: <laughs> give me one reason to stay here. <laughs> Uh, we'll see you next um, week on season three of this thing.